Good morning, Grace Chapel. It's so good to see you today. Really is. Is it good to see me? Okay, that's good. Yeah, we're, we're unified on that. That's good. You know, in a world that we live right now, a world of polarizing views and just a tremendous amount of political nonsense, isn't it so refreshing when you encounter someone in your day-to-day travels around or hopefully at church, someone who comes across balanced, you know, like it's so, like it's a fresh air, you know, they're stable, they're more sane than the craziness that's out there, they're more reasonable, they're someone who seems to always bring light and life to the darkness that's all around us. And whether the moment is tense and terrifying or maybe it's just calm and satisfying, they are always secure. Do you know people like that? Do you have people in your life like that? Here's the big question. Are you like that? Am I like that? What do we want to be known for as followers of Jesus Christ, as children of God? What, do we re- what really is important? Is it where we live? I know from Scripture and I hope that you are with me on this, I know 100% from Scripture that God wants every one of us to shine. Like, I know that. I mean, it's not not even debatable. Uh, I know from Scripture that it's plainly presented every time we crack open God's Word that God desires to ignite this this type of of a shining character in every one of us. It's not for leaders in the church. It's not for people who do ministry in the church. It's for the church. Every single person is supposed to shine. So as you think back over the last six months on planet Earth, how has your light been? You know, I mean, you've got to be honest because God knows. He sees your heart. Um, And have you realized that as you have been gathering with the body of Christ, whether here in person or online or um, around God's Word during the week with others or or by yourself, have you realized that God has been using this time to ignite in us over and over again from His enlightening Word the reminder that we have been given a living hope? It's alive, a living hope. And we've been hammered with that reality over and over again. And we can't say it enough because we forget within five seconds. And that living hope reality has been designed by the great designer to move each of his designees, that would be you and me, towards being the kind of people in our current world and in this current situation who are balanced, who are stable, who are secure, who are sane. (laughs) Oh, boy. There's some craziness going on right now. And very much alive with hope. And it didn't matter what book of the Bible we went to. Did you notice that over the last six months? It didn't matter what letter, what book, what poetry, what prophecy... Anywhere we turn for comfort and hope in God's Word, in every place of Scripture, we're given this understanding that we know where we're headed. Do you? Are you confident in that? You know where you're going. Eternity is settled for every child of God. It's settled. It's done. No more fear. No more anxiety. 
And we can confidently say that it is far better. Listen, whether you can confidently say this or not. It is far better to depart this planet and to be with Jesus Christ. I know some people are there and there's others who are kind of wavering. It's kind of like, I don't know. I got this vacation planned and I really want to do that. And uh, I like to see... As Paul described this back and forth pull that we have all experienced, especially over the last six months, he described it in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23 this way. He said, I feel torn. Do you feel torn sometimes? I feel torn between the two. Living here, doing stuff, going to be with Jesus. I feel torn. Because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So here's the perspective for today. So the worst thing that could ever happen to me or to you, death, would be the best thing that could ever happen to me or to you. Are you with me? And I trust with my prayers to God on behalf of everyone at Grace Chapel that you are saturated with this kind of godly wisdom that only comes from God in developing a proper response to everyone around you, in your family, at your workplace, at the mall, everywhere you go, especially, you know, your response to the COVID crisis, to any crisis, because guess what? This isn't the last one in our lives, to any crisis that's going to come in the future. So since COVID began, you and I have been led as a church family through Proverbs. Remember that? One through nine. Uh, through, through Jude, and then we, went, we just finished off Second Peter, verse by verse, and God has spoken to us so clearly through those portions of Scripture that this is the time for Christians to make manifest their faith. If there ever was a time, we show people who we are, whose we are. And next week, we begin a study, and I have to overemphasize, a vital application of Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5 to 7 that we're going to spend at least 10 weeks, maybe more. We'll see. And in that sermon, Jesus is going to say three times, here's a little prep for you, so then, don't worry, <laughs> saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? Think back six months ago. Think of, the, of Costco and the Kroger and the empty shelves. What will we eat? What will we drink? I can't get enough. Or what will we wear? Heaven forbid that we didn't know what to wear. For the unconverted, this is Jesus, for the unconverted pursue these things. So why are you there? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And does he love you? That's Matthew 6, and we'll be getting there next couple weeks. And last week, we were reminded. By the way, I, Sandy and I watched online last week as we were, we were off uh, camping, and uh, we got home and we watched on, online. It, was, it wasn't the same as being here, but it was, it was good. It wasn't bad at all. But last week, we were reminded in the Psalms of the divine promises of God that He is our refuge and our strength. We don't go anywhere else. And again, this is our opportunity as Christian people to say that we trust in the Lord. 
We really do. Watch me. Watch the way I go through my average day. I trust in the Lord. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that kind of living, that kind of of practical daily hope that people can see demonstrates stability and security and even a joy through trials. Would you pray with me as we delve more into God's Word today? Heavenly Father, prepare our hearts. Grant us the kind of wisdom that can only come from you that we can see clearly not just the words on the page of the book of your Bible, but Lord, that we see them imprinted on our hearts. That as we meditate on these truths, we are changed and transformed into a people you've designed us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as you look at historical records that haven't been revised, when you look at historical records and you look back on the Black Death, you all familiar with the Black Death? You've heard about it, I'm sure. A devastating global pandemic in its day of a bubonic plague. It struck Europe and Asia during the 1300s. 75, because their record keeping was not as good as ours, but not that bad, Uh, somewhere between 75 and 200 million people died. That's a lot of people. And one Italian writer said that the bodies were stacked like lasagna. I mean, it's pretty graphic, pretty gross, but that's what he said. It was a horrific time on the planet. And in our present time, today, in the 21st century, every year now, about 60 million people will die. I mean, can you, can you, can you put your arms around that many people? Like, imagine it. Every year, 60 million people pass into some kind of an eternity. So death is not new to us. It never has been. But its coming always brings fear. Its coming always brings uncertainty, especially to people who have no eternal hope, who don't know where they stand. They have no firm foundation. It's, it's a grab bag. They're, they're, they don't know. And we as children of God should be without fear. Not because we live in a free society. Not because we have all of our needs met every day. You all are going to eat today. You all had transportation to get here. You all live someplace with shelter. Not because we haven't gotten the virus and we remain healthy. That is not why we live without fear. We are without fear because our trust is in the Lord. That's all. Take everything else away. And we still have no fear. Would that be true? All people on this planet have fear when it comes to realizing that you're not in control. And that's been ripped away from everyone vividly just recently, especially control over death. None of us can avoid it when it comes. It's a shock to the system to have that put in your face. 
And that's where so many people are at. And thanks be to God for many of you in this room and watching online who have been over the last months a living testimony of this no fear, of what true faith and true hope in Jesus Christ looks like. And you've lived it out by the grace and the power of God, and that is wonderful. And I'm reminded of Paul's letters of encouragement. You know, all, all letters in the New Testament, they're, they're letters of sound teaching. They're, they're letters that, of, of how a Christian should now live in light that Jesus Christ is coming back. That should change everything. And I'm reminded that as you read through his letters, as you're just going through any of them, all of a sudden, Paul stops and he says, I pray. Have you, have you noticed that? And it's like, He's writing the words of God. It is the word of God. And it infects him and, and gets into his being so, so strongly that he's got to stop and just pray to God or tell us what he's thinking and praying to God. And he, and he writes it down for us. It's, it's, it's really amazing. Right there as he's writing, there's this spontaneous prayer that erupts just from reading God's word. Does that ever happen to you? You're reading along and you just gotta, and you think of somebody because of what you're reading. You, you think of something in your own life or you just want to say, God, thank you. That's what God's word does. And this morning, before we take communion together, I want to encourage us. I want us all to be encouraged from Paul's prayer, two prayers in Ephesians. He writes to the Ephesian believers in Ephesus while he's in Rome awaiting trial. Life is at a, at a low point. He's, he's, he's waiting his trial. He's under house arrest. And guess what he's concerned about? Not so much that. He's concerned that there's disunity in the church. Of course, we don't have that today, right? There's, there's no disunity in the Church of America. No, not at all. He's concerned that there's disunity in the church because there's people of different backgrounds in the church in Ephesus who have different opinions. <laughs> Does this sound familiar? They have different opinions about things, and they're in each other's face. And he says, that, that shouldn't be. Let's start with the prayer. Let's all get convicted today. You ready? Here we go. This is, a, this is Paul's prayer to God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 is where we're going to start reading. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom. Do you pray that for other people? That they would have spiritual wisdom? That's the kind of Christian activity. And some people go, oh, yeah, yeah, you're just going to pray. That's kind of like you're just passing it along. No, 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 no. This is the power of the church. That's the kind of Christian activity we desperately need in times like this, to pray for each other's spiritual wisdom that can only come from God. This is where our time would be well spent and instead of doing other things that some people are doing. And not just spiritual wisdom, but revelation. Man, do, does our world need a revelation? Walking around with their eyes wide shut. To have the way things really are revealed, exposed, that kind of a filter, a godly wisdom filter, and to what end? Here's, here's why. In your growing knowledge of Him. So remember, Paul's praying. This is what he prays for people. 
in these, this church in Ephesus. Knowing God changes everything. And that includes you. And that includes me. And he never stops. And get this, knowing God, look at the next part, being transformed by God is possible. He says, since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, boy, that's a huge assumption, right? That we all get it, that we're all on the same page, that we're seeing our world and what's going on, that we even see the election in November in light of God's truth. Is that happening? Not so much. Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of your calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the incomparable greatness of His power toward us who believe, as displayed in the exercise of His immense strength. God has already proved all that needs to be proved. How strong is God? How has His strength been displayed for you and for me? Paul mentions this. He says, this power, this power that I'm talking about, he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He's, he's over it all. He's got it all under control. No government, no president, no leader has this kind of power. And no human means, no human leader should ever be exalted, should ever be trusted in as the final answer to what ails human beings. It's Jesus and Him alone. Case closed. And God put all things under Christ's feet. What a place to put them, right? What a symbol. Under His feet. And he gave him to the church as head over all things. Now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's quite a prayer. That's some kind of attitude to have when you pray for other Christians and for our world. And it's what we Christians must adopt in these present circumstances. This is where we, our heads need to be at. And then Paul goes off for a while like he does, and he talks about other doctrines and teachings and, and things and other encouraging words like he does so often. He can be difficult to follow along with sometimes. But he comes back to this again in chapter 3 in another prayer. And he, a prayer he lifts up to God on behalf of all Christians around the globe. And he states in chapter 2, verse 15, that each of us, whether we're a Jew, whether we're a Gentile, doesn't matter where you were born or who your parents were, in Christ we are one new man. And that man, that person that we have been made into is the body of Christ. And then Paul prays that we may be united experientially. Do you think, don't say it out loud, but do you think that the church today, even Grace Chapel, is united experientially? That we're all on the same page together? And Paul desired that we might know, genuinely know and experience Jesus Christ's love. 
And that we wouldn't just have the love of Christ personally and relish in that and be so excited about that and enthralled, but that we would exhibit that real love, if it is real love, towards each other in all kinds of different ways. So in chapter 3, verse 14, here's the second prayer that he just spontaneously breaks out into because he can't contain himself. And we shouldn't be able to contain ourselves either. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Do you ever think about that before? We are the only people on the planet, Christians are, who can pray and honor God by declaring and acknowledging this reality, that He is, the, he is our Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. As our creator, God has named all of us, every angel, every part of humanity, he has named. No one else sees God in this kind of revealed light. No one else humbles themselves before him in this way. Only Christians can do this. Do we do this? Does it captivate us? And as Paul kneels in humble adoration and worship, he says, I pray that according to the wealth of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner person. It's always from the inside out, isn't it? Every one of us that's, are, are tempted to and probably do most often look on the outside because we can't see on the inside. Who can see on the inside? God. So we're tempted to evaluate and judge each other based on what we see on the outside. That's all we got. But God sees your heart. He knows who you really are. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Jesus Christ might inhabit every room of your body and be, an, be the influence and be in control. So that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you see, love is where this all leads every time. You may be able to comprehend with all the saints. To be able to comprehend. There is a lack of comprehension going on in our world right now. But without Christ's love dwelling inside of me richly, I do not understand. I cannot have the right perspective. And what will we understand? What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up to the fullness of God? That's going to change your character. And that should be our answer these two prayers to our current crisis. We are in need of nothing else. And Paul ends his prayer, now to him who by the power, there's that word again, power, now to him who by the power that is working within us, it's working within us, is able to do far beyond what we ask or even think. 
To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you pray like this? Would you say, yeah, this is kind of a model. This is kind of what, if you listen to me pray, you probably hear these kinds of things. Do we think before we speak like this? With this as a backdrop. I came across an article that shared some biblical thoughts and perspectives um, on, the, on the COVID outbreak uh, back near the beginning, back near the beginning. It's from three doctors, three doctors, a virologist at the University of Oxford, an MD in Toronto, a bioethicist, an internal me medicine resident, um, studying clinical trials at the London School of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene. So these are three dudes who know what they're talking about as far as medicine goes. But all three of them are followers of Jesus Christ. Listen, please, to how these medically trained and educated Christians approached the pandemic at its outset. They began their discussion on what should our response be to COVID. Guess where? The Word of God. Boom. Psalm 31, 13. I hear many whispering. The psalmist says, terror on every side. In times of crisis, it's really easy for you and I to identify with the psalmists, isn't it? And we too keep hearing about terror on every side, the novel coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2. The millions of viruses scattered by coughs and sneezes are enemies who pursue us, stealing into our homes, stealing into our lungs, and making those they infect, the psalmist goes on, objects of dread, even to their closest friends and family. Those who see us on the street flee from us. That's happening. But listen to how these three doctors see this all through Psalm 31. But the psalmist would have us move past terror to say, I trust you, Lord. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies. I love hearing doctors of medicine declare their faith and understanding uh, about our times from the Bible. It was refreshing. I also got perspective through followers of Jesus Christ from the past in seeing how Christians handled um, desperate times in years gone by. Historically, Christians have not been strangers to epidemics and have responded in a variety of ways over the centuries. Vivian Nutton is an esteemed historian of medicine, and she writes that from the 14th to the 18th century, that's a huge time block, a town, here's what she said, a town would experience an epidemic of plague approximately every decade. Okay, so just think about this. So, like, how long's it been? Well, we're getting up to 10 years. Should be another one coming pretty soon. And a serious devastation once every generation. So are we wiped out yet? No, but it's coming. And that's how people lived. Disease outbreaks have been a part of uh, 
of the rhythm of life since the world was cursed in the garden. But you say, but Pete, Pete, yeah, 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 that's fine. Great, great history. But Pete, we live in the modern world. Hello. We're not supposed to be vulnerable anymore. We've got health care and we've got vaccines and you watch too much TV. In response to these outbreaks over the years, Christians have um, written down their responses. Uh, Christian leaders have, men and women, and they've been called flight theologies. Flight, as in running, flying away. Theologies. In other words, what measures can a Christian take and still have a good conscience about their walk and their faith um, when, there's a, when there's a pandemic or, or a pestilence or some kind of calamity? Uh, and, and for, for many of them it was, can a Christian flee a city that is experiencing a plague? Or should they stay? The, one of the most famous of all these flight theologies was written by Martin Luther. And it was a letter in response to a good friend and pastor of his, Johann Hess. And it was in response to Hess's letter where he asked the question, Martin Luther, I don't know if he said Martin, is it proper for a Christian to run away from a deadly plague? Wow. And Luther was no stranger to suffering. He endured the death of many of his friends and family, including some of his own children, to sickness and to plagues. And, and Johann actually had to write and ask this question twice because the first time he wrote the letter, Luther was too ill to reply to it. So he, this guy knows what he's talking about, and we already know this man is an outstanding example of a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you ever read Luther? It's like every second line is Scripture or something from Scripture. And in his reply, Luther explained that, here, here it comes, our loving God, he's just gone through a sickness and watched people die. Our loving God, hiddenly, but surely works for our good. Even in the places we do not expect, including in the evil of deadly pandemics. The fear of bodily illness and death should drive us. What do you think he's going to say? The fear of bodily illness and death should drive us to pray. I think that's what Paul was getting at <laughs> and, and, and showing as an example to us twice in Ephesians to pray and then to care for our souls all the more. He said, our souls. Remembering that this world is not our lasting home. You know, an epidemic is one of the many evils that results from the curse that you and I will encounter in this fallen world. And we have to, as followers of Christ, take it seriously. We do. We have that responsibility. But we need to see what Luther's getting at here. The greater evil is the evil that's in each of us, our sin nature. That's far worse, far more destructive, far more devastating. 
So he's saying in our response to an epidemic or any crisis that comes into your life, we are reminded first of our own fallenness. That's why this is happening. And the repentance that flows out of that realization turns us from sin to do the right thing. And don't you find that one of the chief sins, and it's come out during the last six months so ripe in front of our eyes, is our selfish love. Yeah. In spite of what you think when you look in the mirror, we really do love ourselves. We really do care for ourselves. That, that, that selfish love gives first thought to ourself and only second, secondly, if we can assure our own health and, and well-being and safety, then to others. Yeah, I've got to take care of, I've got to take care of things at home first. I've got to take care of this guy first. And then if I take care of this guy first, then, well, hey, I'll be better equipped to take care of other people. Yeah, so you know how we think that through? To justify it? And so then you think back, and like, for me, it's like, uh, come on, toilet paper? Canned goods, the exploitation of fear for a good headline, the politicizing of people's pain, come on. And Luther shares from his epidemic experiences as a follower of Jesus Christ that sickness, even the fear of getting sick, can be a temptation that tests and proves our faith and our love in God through Jesus Christ. Our faith in that we may see and then experience how we should act toward God. And our love in that we may recognize how we should act towards our neighbor. How did the fear of sickness impact your faith? How did it impact your love? Martin Luther quoted Psalm 41. Three doctors quoted Psalm 31, but here's 41. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. And then Luther says, therefore, whoever serves the sick for the sake of God's gracious promise has the great assurance that he in turn will be cared for. God himself will be his attendant and his physician too. What an attendant he is. What a physician. Do you believe that about God? So what does this mean for us in COVID-19? Well, our attitude should be marked by the Christian virtue of measured concern. Measured concern. Measured, not panicking, but heeding Jesus' encouraging warnings. Do not be anxious about your life. Do not fear those who can kill your body, but cannot kill your soul. And concern, recognizing the evil for what it is and where it comes from and not conforming ourselves to all these falsehoods that are out there. Instead of panicking and feeding our mind with unfounded news stories that are just that, news stories, to get a headline, we should always be praying and then asking, how can we as a church, how can I as an individual serve my neighbor. For those of us who have no special training and we can't work on the medical front lines, during time of need, we're called to pray. 
way more than we do. We're to pr uh, play a part in our society, um, to work at the jobs that God has provided for each of us to keep the economy going. To, uh, we have a responsibility to our families, to our spouse, to our kids, and even to siblings. We have a responsibility to respond in a proper way to the news in how we communicate and how we listen and then obviously in the way we care for those who are around us. And above all, as we learn from Paul, again, we are called to pray. We don't do it enough. So it reminds us, this crisis, that lasting contentment um, Real security, not the false kind that's portrayed all around us. And daily happiness is not found in the November election, as important as it is. But it's only found in Jesus Christ. That's his name. That's who we preach here. We don't preach anything else but Jesus Christ alone. So what does communion, this cup, that I trust you all have got ready to go. So what does communion, partaking of the bread and the cup, remind us of? Well, it's a vivid symbol. As we've said here many times over the years, it's a vivid symbol of what God has done through Jesus Christ, through the redemption of humanity through Jesus Christ. And it's something that we have to go back to over and over and over again. It's why we do this. And it's a reminder as to not only what God did, but what God is still doing now through the redemption of Jesus Christ, transforming each of us so that we can take this gospel message wherever He has destined us to take it. So we remember this sacrifice daily, not just at communion time, and then we respond accordingly, each of us. And it's a reminder that God is still going to do something yet to come. Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen? He's coming back. And that should change how I live today as I reflect on that. This world is going to be made right. I can hardly wait talking to those who are, who are seniors who admittedly say, I hope Jesus Christ comes back today, like right now. So why do you have to wait to be a senior? <laughs> is, that, is it more real? <laughs> remembering back as we take this bread together, remembering back, which reflects on who we are and what we, were, we know about ourselves right now while we're looking forward to the future. Jesus Christ broke the bread before his body was broken for you and for me. Let's take this together.
the blood of Jesus Christ. It had to be spilt. You know you're serious when you're willing to shed your own blood for someone. And he shed his blood for your salvation and for mine. And on that day he comes back. No more death. No more tears. No more pandemics. Just life made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's take this symbol together. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to worship God. We're going to close in worship and respond to what His Word has laid upon your heart with words that don't come just from your mouth, but come from your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, like Paul, we, we kneel in your presence. So thankful for the sacrifice of your Son and our Savior Jesus Christ. So, so hopeful for his return one day and so confident today that everything we need, all strength, all power, is available to us through your grace and mercy to live as lights in darkness and to shine your truth. And we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.